Beautiful song by Peter Tosh, Fools Die for Want of Wisdom. Uh, this is a song that is very relevant to what we are discussing now. This is the Talking Point, 104 to 107 Nationwide, SAFM leading the conversation. I'd like to welcome our guest as we speak human rights and focusing those rights on the Rastafarian community. Advocate C. Port Mandula is a researcher at the Tabombeki African School on Public and International Affairs at the University of South Africa. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Advocate. Refreshing morning, my sister. Jumbo Africa, greetings once more to the listeners and to Prince. Now, you know the song that we, we opened up our conversation with, Fools Die for Want of not, of Wisdom. I, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say that we are at a place right now where diversity is not really understood. We know we are diverse, but it's not understood at a constitutional level because it is it separates certain communities, such as the Rastafari community. Am I right in saying this? No, no, true, my sister. I think one aspect is the stigma um, profiling um, and what can say marginalization that has happened for many years. Uh, Pre-1994, during apartheid, this is uh, one of the cultural communities as a revolutionary movement, as a cultural movement. They've been facing gross human rights and people's rights violations across the uh, African continent. You will understand that the patterns that you were raising earlier of children being um, being expelled from schools. It has happened in East in East Africa. It has happened in some parts of the Southern Africa, like Malawi and Kenya. Now you can see those patterns have been there, and the issues of even diversity that you are explaining that we have the constitutions, we have the African Charter on Human and People's Rights, we have the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. We have what the Rastafarian community used to advocate that they have the Declaration of the Black Men's Rights of Marcus Garvey in the 1920s. So you find that those areas of loss, my dear uh, sister, even to the listeners, as you are looking around this Shavilanga uh, moments or months, you'll find that even Rastafarians were part of those challenges. You'll be shocked that one of the Google to seven. Uh, victims was a Rastafarian, uh, actually, in 1986 when they were being uh, ambushed. So that history and that chapter of the Rastafarians having been uh, ostracized, being marginalized in the continent, it, it has been growing, and I think it is high time that we need to arrest that situation by raising more uh, awareness and erasing those stereotypes and those attitude that has been there for some time. Now, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we are talking about erasing stereotypes. We've got a constitution that uh, governs all of us. It's a beautiful constitution. And then let's go to the school issue. Each school has its own, um, um, you know, rules of and code of conduct of which when, when you admit your child in that school, you need to adhere to it to a point where at the school that my children currently go to, we are sent photos of what the child's hair needs to look like. Okay, and uh, whether it's a girl or a boy, and then they'll send in the various races. So they'll send um, a black children, they'll send white children, colored children, and Indian children pictures. And nowhere can you see dreadlocks. So in other words, dreadlocks are not permitted in the school system. And this does not seem 
to be something that is fair constitutionally. It seems like something that infringes on human rights, whether Rastafari or just a person who, who enjoys having dreadlocks on their hair. No, correctly. You you will recall the history of the continent with the Mau Mau uh, revolutionaries like Didanke Mati. They had dreadlocks. You had many uh, activists during the liberation struggle. They had dreadlocks and beards. Um, and uh, the aspect that you are raising, whether there's a code of conduct in the schools, it should not supersede or undermine the constitution which lies around your freedom of religion, your freedom of culture. Uh, language, uh, things that you want to practice. And I can assure you, my sister, for many years, every year when it's a, a school calendar, every township has been having cases of children being expelled based on the issue of the code of conduct vis-a-vis constitution. And in some instances, you will be pushing for reasonable uh, accommodation. In some of the cases, you find that in the African continent, there is this attitude just towards the practice as well of the Rastafarian community by uh, profiling, like I've said, whether the issues of the use of the of of, uh, of ganja, or marijuana, holy help that has been used by this community. And the stereotyping of looking at it as a Jamaican culture, when actually there are some symbols of an African uh, practice, you'll find that children who even wear Spanga, my sister, who wear African wreaths or cultural symbols, even workers, people, you'll remember that there were five workers, uh, I mean, five correctional service members who were ex- expelled from the prison for wearing dreadlocks, and the two of them were Rastafarians, and three were just healers. So you will understand that this challenge of attitudes and of even people running away from their identity and uh, imposing it to the young children, when young children actually have a choice, and uh, at the same time they do follow their African spiritual convictions. And that's where I think we've been missing the point. In 2012, there was a cultural commission report, a CRL Rights Commission report, where it looked at the challenges of Rastafarians. Issues of the schooling, of the dress code came out very clear, and even recommendations how some of these issues should be dealt with. So you might find that those are the challenges, but you still have brutalization, raiding, arrest of even Rastafarians, you know. So those are the patterns of human rights, across human rights violations that have been happening. It's, it's very sad because uh, as much as there can be all these uh, talks and our human rights uh, is there, it's clear our schools, particularly our schools, discriminate against that which is not um, known to them. So the dreadlocks, the ispant, the, the you know the 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 the, the, the bracelets, the, you know, they they discriminate against it. And I'm talking from experience. As this is something that frustrates me. Last week on social media, we saw a, a black teacher with an afro comb combing out a boy's hair because why did you not comb your hair? And it could be dreadlocks. And boys were in a queue. And that's discrimination. And as I sit now, it, I'm passionate about this because I wear Ipandla. And I see how people would look at you and say, hey, what's going on here? I've got dreadlocks on my head. And my kids need to have locks on their head because of our, 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 our spiritual belief. But they can't because of the school they go to. And if you do umsebenzi and you must put a, 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 a spandle on your child, it's also then a problem because they can't take it to school. It's, it's really something that the, the human community commissions right needs to look at this discrimination 
No, no, correct, my sister. And you will understand that even the role of the school governing bodies, you'll understand that schools used to have what they call parents, teachers, student uh, association. Now, you find that in the schools, you might have learners, representative council. These are the issues that fall under the bill of responsibilities, the issues that we were raising earlier, respecting diversity of others, acknowledging that there, there are those who have the right to be different. And at the same time, you find that beyond the Ministry of Basic Education in terms of uh, raising those awareness, you find that you have stubborn school governing bodies that are still having vendetta either about their children saying once he wear dreadlocks, likelihood of him to be smoking, uh, holy help is very high. And at the, at the same time, that again, it is something that has been a challenge, like I've said, message. even the media profiling of such cases, they become like a head, headline for a week, and from there it just disseminates. So it is something that we should be raising beyond the Human Rights Month about the rights of our communities of practice in their cultural identities, whether they are children, whether they are adults, because this thing that you are raising, it has happened even for the people of other spiritual movements, whether they work in the private sector. They'll be told that there's a certain uniform that you must adhere to, and there's a certain things that you must not wear. Uh, so those are the issues that I think the African revolution of identity has to be practiced, has, has to be seen. And where there are obstacles, that's where the law has to come in and assist those who are being uh, aggrieved. And that's where you find even research on looking at the Rastafarian rights are not mostly done by many African universities or even colleges of law they don't look at those communities of practice as vulnerable, as communities that have been harassed uh, during apartheid. Even post-apartheid, you still have the laws that are still uh, criminalizing the Rastafarian community. We are talking uh, to Advocate Sipo Mandula, who's a researcher at the Tabombeki African School of Public and International Affairs at the University of South Africa. Joining us now is Gareth Prince, lawyer and Rastafarian rights campaigner. Gareth, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, good morning to all of your listeners. So we, we are looking at human <clears throat> rights and we are specifically zooming in on the rights of the Rastafarian community. You are a lawyer, uh, Gareth, and um, I'm sure as you've been advocating and, and, and campaigning for the rights of Rastafarians, you have seen a lot of discrimination. Maybe take us through some of the discrimination that is very legally bound. Yes, um, Unfortunately, we at the Rastafari community and uh, millions of other South Africans must say that the ideal of human rights remains a fleeting illusion, seemingly pursued, but never attained. Because we find that inequality or unfair discrimination is something that is systemic within our society. It is very finely entrenched in the law, in our commerce, in, in the manner in which we approach health and our social economics and instead of trying to be part of the problem we are very excited about the juncture where we find ourselves so even though we find that we we remain way off in in, in relation to social economic rights because your your rights to dignity your rights to equality means nothing without food clothes and shelter and that is where millions of south africans mm-hmm. find themselves but at the same time we find ourselves in in a very exciting position where we are able to become innovators in the world 
But it would seem that our government, again, wants us to imitate. And one of the reasons why we find that the idea of human rights and for, for the men on the street to feel it haven't really uh, filtered down to the people on the street is because our judiciary has failed us. Our executive, they have failed us. Our legislature have failed us. And because we do not have a, a culture of enforcing accountability, that is why things like this in relation, this disrespect towards uh, dreadlock kids can still happen 20 years after we've had high court cases spelling out the law. That there has to be a presumption in favor of education and not in, in excluding people as a result of the fact that they've chosen different life choices. And that is what we need to accept within a constitutional democracy, that people must be allowed to pursue alternative life choices and they they cannot be discriminated or unfairly discriminated against as a result of choosing that but how do we then enforce the fact that this constitution permits for all of our diversified uh, religious and spiritual and and you know uh, ways of living how do we enforce that schools that um, corporate bodies that uh, corporate environments permit for people to be who they are there has to be serious repercussions for those who deny people these basic and fundamental human rights people who want to to ensure that their particular way their code of conduct as as Rasipo correctly said the code of conduct is not superior to the constitution and the constitution require you to err on the side of inclusion not exclusion that is what the south african human rights culture is about it's about reasonably accommodating us within society we find that myself as a rastafari just because I refuse to deny who I am for the past 25 years, I've not been allowed to practice my profession because my professional ability has been assassinated. Because I refused to use alcohol or tobacco and to proclaim the fact that I use cannabis. I was proud about that. And still 25 years later, you find that we are still being incarcerated. Society still chooses to use its most severe sanction, which is arrest in relation to our community for doing an act that poses no threat to nobody as the constitutional court proclaimed something that is a billion dollar pound euro industry elsewhere but our people are still lagging behind whereas we have the potential to become world leaders in respect of cannabis if we change our mindset if we accept who we are as african people and the fact that we do not have to imitate western countries in order to find ourselves. We need to be proud about what it is that we have and to understand that we can help ourselves, that self-reliance, self-dependence. That is what we should be encouraging. And with cannabis, we have that opportunity. But whilst we are still arresting our people and denying our kids the opportunity to learn, then we are not advancing the ideal of human rights within our society. Talking about uh, you know changes that need to be made in Africa, in South Africa, and the diaspora around when it comes to recognizing and giving the same rights to the Rastafarian community. Last year, um, uh, an advocate, a 24-year-old, Matenga <laughs> Mukundai, um, gained prominence when he was admitted to the bar in 
Kenya in Nairobi. Yes, yes, and yes. this is the first Rastafarian um, who was given this uh, prominence. Let's go to the news right now. When we come back, we'll continue. It's time for the headlines with uh, Nandika Bukas. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM. 106.2 FM in Dohoyando. This is the talking point on SAFM. My name is Patricia Nduli. I'm standing in for Kathy Musasane. A teamers, you know that I'm back again at 10 o'clock. So let's enjoy our time. It's the last 30 minutes of the show. And between now and then, let's make good use of it. We are talking about Rastafarian communities' human rights as we wrap up the Human Rights Month. Our guests are Gareth Prince, who's a lawyer and Rastafarian rights campaigner, as well as advocate Asi Mantula, who's a researcher at the Tabumbeki Africa. School on Public and International Affairs at the University of South Africa. Now, before we went to Nandika Bukas uh, for the headlines, I was talking about uh, the first ever admitted Rastafarian advocate in the High Court in uh, Nairobi in uh, Kenya. And um, this is this is this is something that is extraordinary. But for us in the century that we're in, in the year that we're in, to have the first ever Rastafarian. And uh, what what interests me is that he didn't come out with one of those, you know, advocate wigs uh, for his photo opportunity. He was geared in his turbine and he, he, he did not shy away from who he is. But this is something that is rare and not often found. So I want you, Gareth, to maybe weigh in on this and say, why is it that Africa is not so welcoming to professionals who are Rastafarians or professionals who have locks in their heads? I think it's 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 part of, of a larger culture of Africans not going against the wishes of their former slave masters. You find that a lot of African countries saw that the primary way out of the out of slavery, as it were, was economic dependence upon the West. And if one wanted to chart a different way then you find that those leaders were the ones who met with untimely ends. We're talking about the Patrice Lumumbas of this world, those who dared to resist the West. So you find that still that the the idea of, of, of being different, of daring to be different, is something that is supposedly under our constitution to be cherished, but it is something that is still not because the whole economic the, the, the powerful institutions within our society are still very much controlled by a consciousness that doesn't allow for the equal participation of alternative point of views. And that is entirely improper in the South African context. But because we have a judiciary and because we have a, an executive and a legislature that doesn't speak affirmatively and proactively, ensuring that this indeed is instituted within our countries, these iniquities are allowed to flourish still within our society, still within 2021, where there can be this forceful assimilation. We do not want to be assimilated into Western capitalistic, greedy, mendacious culture. We want the opportunity to develop something for ourselves that is not seen through the lenses of Canada or Germany, but through the lenses of the people of South Africa. We are proud about what it is that we stand to offer. And that is what we should embrace. Let me go to our A-team listeners here. KGM is on the line. 
Good uh, morning, KG. I'm in Johannesburg. Closer to us. How are you? Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Good morning to, to both your, your guests. Great. Um, P- Patricia, you know, this is so painful. As a, as a, as a Mosarwa, very proud Mosarwa for that matter, <laughs> uh, I'm questioned that am I really who I am by the constitution of this country. I respectfully disagree with both your guests and many people who believe that we have the best constitution in this country. This constitution have neglected and continues to neglect the existence of Rastafarism and Rastafari as, as not just as a culture, but as humanity. This constitution has neglected Cesarwa, Bosarwa, Bushmen, whatever they want to call us. This very constitution does not have any of the two groupings. I'm just making these two examples, but there are many two I mean, groupings that are not included. We don't have our language there. We, we don't have anything. Now, I don't want to be long. Please create more time. I know that the powers lies elsewhere sometimes. Create more time that the groupings that have been excluded uh, come on air, hear us out, hear how we are not just neglected, but how we are abused, how our rights are trampled upon. Regardless and despite the fact that this constitution talks about a bill of rights that must be protected, mm-hmm. uh, lastly, if, if we have a constitution that gives the judges, the magistrates, the power to be the custodians of the law, mm-hmm. but the very same structures are unable to enforce the rulings that they, mm-hmm. they, they make, mm-hmm. what, that, what do we make of this, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. We, we're yeah. going to be rhetoric about it. We're going to be <clears throat> emotional about it. The fact of the matter is this constitution does not represent the best interest of Africans or South Africans in the main at all. Patricia, thanks for taking my call. Thank you very much, KGM. Let me go to Bramoro, who's in Bloemfontein. Good morning. Bramoro, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Good morning. Good morning to you and Sipo and your guests. Thank you for the good show. I I guess every African is a Rastafarian, believe it or not. Because if I leave my hair on, automatically it becomes dread without even adding any natural or artificial pomade or lotion to it. Mm. That is the, that is our root or our beginning. That with the, with the acceptance of the white man's constitution and the white man's democracy, it has to supersede and suppress our very own culture. It recently, just a, a, a two weeks or a week ago, there is a similar incident happening in Ghana, where I come from. It's very pathetic for a black African, a brilliant, intelligent one, being denied admission for the sake of his hair. He was told to shave his hair. You understand? It's very pathetic. Whereas whites who are studying in the same school are allowed to have their natural hairs on. But because the, the gentleman is a Rastafarian, he's been subjected to a shave or cut the hair, he will be denied admission. So then we come back to our roots and ask ourselves, even those who brought us their education in their own country are allowing various uniforms to be present in classrooms. Whereas in Africa, it's totally different. When are we going to be liberated from this mental slavery which we are facing? Wouldn't it be better if we have a magistrate who is a dreadlock 
Rastafarian sitting in court, ruling the affairs of the country. Wouldn't it, it, wouldn't it be, be better if we have a president who is a Rastafarian, if we have a high court judge, attorney general, etc., who are Rastafarians with their natural dreadlocks on, than to have a woman, a female, with their for God's sake, wait on. It's very pathetic for the way and manner which African continent is being driven away towards another form of slavery. Now, when I see advocate people, automatically I have to develop hatred for him. Why? Because he has his own natural hair on. Whereas when I see my fellow African with a fake wig on, I need to embrace such a person. It's very pathetic which we have to fight against. And we can only win this war if we're able to change the constitution, that gives us freedom of association, freedom of appearance, as long as it makes me happy. I don't have to mind the other party. Thank you, Tatiana, for the good show. Enjoy. Th- Continue. Thank you very much, Bramoro. And uh, now I'll go to Colin, who's in Cape Town. Colin, good morning. Good morning, Colin. Yeah, I, I, I listen to your radio station quite often. The first time I'm talking about human rights now. I'm so glad I got through. You know, I would like to ask human rights. Now, what is the meaning of human rights in South Africa? What is the meaning of human rights? When we've got people, their lives are taken away from them, their women are raped, there's no food, there's no uh, proper toilets, there's so many of our citizens, our people, millions of them, that, that... are looking for help from human rights, but you never see the human rights or hear them. They come onto the radio station so many times, and they talk about um, smaller things, smaller things that affects maybe a handful, while millions are going to bed, no food, nothing, sewage running in, the, I just heard on your radio, sewage running in their homes, their furniture, their carpets, Human rights must start waking up and get our human rights, as the Constitution says, you are, you are, uh, you've got a right for education, you've got a right for housing and things like that. The human rights never ever fight the government about those big, massive problems we are facing. But if somebody calls a K-word or whatever it is on a, on a radio or whatever it is, the human rights, the EFF, everybody wants to step in and go down that person's throat. You know what I mean? Our human rights, our, our citizens have no rights actually in this country and the human rights do nothing for them. Thanks. Well- Thank you very much, Colin. I beg to differ. We do have the human rights. We do have a constitution. But the yes. problem the problem is implementing it. That's the problem, it. it's not that the constitution is not okay, that the rights are not there, but implementation That's and education it. from implementation, every level. Implementation, yeah. the human rights don't yeah. force the government. They don't go marching. They don't go to uh, parliament. They, they do nothing. But when little things come up, they're always on the radio and that. Go to Parliament, the whole human rights, the churches, let them join in and help our citizens in this country who are going going to bed with no food and things like that. Thank you very much, Thank Colin. You, Patricia. Thank you. Let me go to Scully. Scully's in Durban. Good morning. Good morning, Scully. Well said uh, for a while. Colin, well said. Patricia, your guest there, uh, good morning to him. It's and two guests, it's Gareth Prince and Scully. Scully? 
Yes. We've got two guests. It's Gareth Prince and uh, Advocate Sipo Mantul. Okay, uh, both of them, uh, Sipo Mantula and uh, uh, Gareth. Man, Gareth told it, you know, as it is, you know, uh, uh, to the nation. Uh, uh, that one about uh, the marijuana case. You know, we're the best in the world, man. You know, uh, I thank you for Gareth, Gareth for putting it that way, man. I, I hope that those who's in charge of these things are listening. Thank you. Thank you for the good show, Patricia. Bye. Thank you very much, Scully. Let me go to Dion now, who's in East London. Good morning, Dion. Good morning. Good morning. You Good can morning hear? to you and your listeners. Um, uh, particularly Gareth uh, Prince, uh, Mr. Prince, we've I've been uh, following, you know, the following the um, constitutional court case back in the day. Read the judgment, etc. And I'm shocked to hear that the Law Society um, is still not uh, considered you for enrollment as an attorney. Um, but the disappointment for me is that the Constitution, as as, as Mr. Prince has put it, has failed the, the Rastafarian community. And so many, um, so many minority groups or groups that do not have the, the social and economic clout that um, other uh, more affluent and influential groups have, um, I think um, the, the criminals, criminals are better protected and more vociferously protected uh, by our institution than, than minority groups such as the, the Rastafarians and so on. Um, changing it, is, it seems it's not going to happen overnight. It's a moral change. It's a, it's a paradigm shift that has to be made. Our country is founded on sacrifices that, you know, that have been made on behalf of others. It's founded on, 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 on people being sacrificed at the altar of political expedience. I think um, the Rastafarian community is no different. They were collateral damage up to now. And how are their voices going to be heard? And that's what I'd like to hear from Mr. Prince. Thank you very much, Dion. Uh, let me start with Thank you, you uh, Gareth. Please just weigh in on what Prince has said. I think very pertinent. Thank you. You know, the past is what it is. We are excited about the fact that we now have an opportunity. And the manner in which we're going to do that is through Daha. You know, it might be an, an inconvenient or an uncomfortable truth for many, but so was the idea of equality for the indigenous people of this land. Just as, as Nelson Mandela proved to be the, the moral compass for this country, cannabis will prove to be its economic compass. And the manner in which... Uh, this government and these societies become good with the Rastafari community is to assist us or is to get out of the way of the people empowering themselves by working with the plant. With cannabis, we have an opportunity to develop a legislative and a regulatory framework that could be the envy of the rest of the world. So we should allow the plant to assist us in order to answer the basic cry of our people, food, clothes, shelter, health, education, and welfare. And the fact is that cannabis assists us in all of these endeavors. Government, allow us to do this. Get out of your own way and get out of the people's way and let us flourish. Let us become the economic powerhouse that we all know we can be. The Rastafarians are excited to work with you because we can do nothing about the past. 
but we can do something about our present in order to influence the future. And we, as African people, as South African people, we've got something that can catapult us towards economic stability, towards social economic justice within our society. But we can only do that if we innovate instead of imitate. I'm glad that you're raising the issue of cannabis because we see that now uh, the legal the, the, the legal use of medical marijuana is becoming more and more commercialized. But cannabis on its own, in terms of the recreational um, use of it, smoking it, is still a bit of a touch and go. And a lot of people have been saying that, look, in South Africa currently, it's those who have money for the licenses, those who have the land, who are able to get the commercial benefit of cannabis. That is indeed true, but that is because uh, the current thinking around cannabis, or whether you call it medical cannabis or recreational cannabis, the beautiful thing that we say is that the, the local cannabis that we've been growing for hundreds of years in this country has the ability to fulfill medical cannabis needs it has the ability to fulfill recreational cannabis needs it has the ability to fulfill industrial cannabis needs and this compartmentalization of cannabis is such is very much akin to apartheid way of thinking holistic way of thinking or ubuntu way of thinking is inclusive we want one plan to do all of that we do not need to import other things yes we want to respect choice and if people just with a, with, a, with a craft beer market, what we need to understand and what the good people of South Africa must understand, even though millions of people might be in favor of the death penalty returning, the constitution of South Africa does not allow that. So people must make peace with that. Even though alcohol and tobacco kills hundreds and thousands of people, there are no laws prohibiting its commercial activity. You cannot treat cannabis any different simply because there are thousands of people who think that, oh, no, but if we open uh, the freedom of recreational cannabis, then the floodgates to all drugs are going to open. Perhaps it is time that South Africa start having the discussion around what should be the proper approach towards dealing with the issue of substance use and abuse within our society. And if we are to take some guidance from from what the Rastafari have said and recently retired Constitutional Court Justice Edward Cameron, that the issue is not an issue for the police or for the criminal penal system, but it's an issue for the social health system of a country. And that's the conversation that we need to start having. Advocate Mantula, you know, when we are talking about cannabis, I have a very close affinity to it. Not because I consume it for recreational purposes, but because I was told that when I was uh, when I was a very small baby, I, I was cured from asthma because mm, my mm, grandfather... Mm gave me cannabis tea. He risked his life to get cannabis in Tsangu and they brew tea for me and I drank that and I was cured from asthma. I don't even have any signs or traits that I've ever had asthma. And when I look at the medicinal use and its authenticity, uh, cannabis, on the motherland, on the African soil, how, how much more do we need to advocate for it to be utilized for medical purposes? You know, sister... Uh, Patricia, you understand the international system, the uh, World uh, Drug Organization from the UN, how they have been working on this cannabis to can criminalize it, to label it. And this is what we are raising. We think the Rastafarians and many African communities, they've looked at it as a head rather than as a medicinal cannabis, like Prince was saying, because commercialization 
has a tendency to have uh, that will drive people not to benefit. Now, community beneficiation is something we are lacking. Many African countries like Eswatini, Lesotho, Ghana, Jamaica, they are already talking about this commercialization in Rwanda. And it is what Prince was saying, at the expense of the European uh, trade uh, investment and even beneficiation. And when you look at the issues that you are raising in terms, like I said earlier, community-based research, I know that at UNISA for the past three years, you know, Sister Pet, we've been doing a community in Daba on, on cannabis, looking at three key communities, the healers, Rastafarians, and even traditional leaders, uh, among quotes. Because when you talk of cannabis, there's a question of access to land. There's issues around even uh, community beneficiation. And the issues that uh, callers were raising earlier, yes, our constitution is not perfect. Our parliament has been sitting with a law that uh, two years ago, uh, constitutional court looked at the issues of cannabis and say parliament review the laws and start to treat even Rastafarians as people who are part of this country. So that's why we have those challenges if one looks and the critical aspect of even the lack of knowledge on the African traditional knowledge system, how people don't understand the role of even cannabis. And even when one looks at the issue of, like I said, of research into looking into beneficiation, and tomorrow, President Andrea Garas will tell you, government has a cannabis master plan suddenly, and now the issues is around now consulting. Because you have to consult, and in this age of COVID-19, Sister Patricia, cannabis plays a critical role as well. We saw from European countries, Israel, we saw from other countries where they were talking about that even cannabis can cure flu and asthma and epilepsy, many diseases that we are struggling with. But finally, I think the issue that I wanted to just come through quickly, professionals, even South Africa, Sister Patricia, we have rastas who are magistrates, we have rastas who are teachers, who are into security service, who are into media. I think the narrative that people think that professional and ethics of the workplace, we are anti. We are only anti-establishment. But we cannot run away from saving our own communities. Hence, you find that the HR policies have to change uh, around the issues of false, I mean, uh, compulsory uh, uh, testing when they are saying somebody has been using cannabis at the Workplace. Those are the challenges that we have seen post the judgment of Prince 2018 uh, in the labor sector. We see challenges even as well in the media sector. How is the media sector you, even in the cultural sector? Reggae artists are struggling, Sister Patricia. They never received the COVID-19 relief fund, most of them. So people should not think that when we deal with Rastafarian rights, we deal with them only cultural. We deal with them social, economic, cultural and economic, the impact that it has caused to many families and as well as to the Rastafarian workers who have been there and they've worked a lot for this country since And I can tell you, others are into the security service, like I've said, doing a lot of work across Africa. And most of them, they are not being profiled because they are not grandizing. They are not after the stage. They are not famous. And that's why we are keeping it low to say, we are saving our own communities of practice. Now, Vuyan Bloemfontein sends this, uh, S- uh, this WhatsApp, says, uh, Patricia, I think we should stop calling the hairstyle dreadlocks as there's nothing dreadful about it. Well, uh, Vuyan, look, uh, <laughs> it's my locks, and uh, yeah, that, that's all I can say. I love me, my locks. Let's go to some voice notes.
morning you speak into men for in terms back. yes to be honest yes we are seeing that i just want to ask from the lawyer there. Uh, we are seeing that our kids more especially in private school they are taken out my neighbor's boy was taking pictures by the schoolmates when the teacher was saying to him he must go and wash his dreadlocks they make fun of him his head so big like a sheep and all the stuff so i need to know what does the law say thank you very much you speak number two in prospect thank you very much Bimela patricia wow uh thank you for the heavyweight music by peter torch um i would like to encourage the rastafarianism activists to remain unapologetic when coming to the fight for the human rights of a rasta community they must ensure that they continue the with the struggle of fighting for their human rights until they enjoy them unconditionally so like all other humans on earth hi patricia um, many thanks for bringing the rastafarian uh, agenda to the topic today um, i've always respected the rastafarian uh, movement unfortunately it has not been classified as a uh, religion but uh, for me i always regarded as a uh, one of these movements that actually speaks the truth and we have lost a lot of uh, cadres like uh, Peter Tosh himself, uh, Bobby Mali and also because I mean basically they were speaking the truth of what a human being should be and when you look at that movement itself it's bent on saving humanity and explaining what humans must be doing in saving ourselves in terms of how we should be aligning ourselves with our environment so thanks uh it's eminent praetorian well thank you to all of you uh a teamers who have been listening in and contributing on this topic as we wrap up uh, the issue of human rights uh, of the rastafarian community i i must say oh, i'm not a rasta but i, I believe wholly and heartily on on, on the foundations of African spiritualism and, and us being just pure and in one with nature and having spent time in Shashimani in Ethiopia and wow. experienced the life and the daily movement of the Rastafari community there, I, I, I realize that there is a oneness. As we close off, um, let, let me start with you, uh, Gareth. You know, what, what is your parting shot in just 30 seconds, please? Let us, as South African people, use what we have which is indigenous Gaha, in order to get what we want, which is economic sustainability, integrity for our people, self-reliance and self-dependence. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Gareth. And uh, for you, uh, Advocate Sipo Matula, please also give us your parting shot in 30 seconds. Sister Patricia, in short, Rastafarian human rights are basic rights. They need to be respected, promoted and protected 365 days. Asante sana, give thanks. Thank you very much to our guests. Looking forward to interacting with them on different platforms on this very topic in the near future. It's 12 o'clock. It's time for me to say goodbye. It's been a great pleasure working with the team, who are on uh, the content production, and Ubongi, who's the technical producer of the show. It's been such a great pleasure. Catch you 
at 10 o'clock until midnight on the Late Night Conversations. And uh, may goodness and grace lead you to great heights of success.